stories turn songs into symphonies, events into memories, and lives into legends. In our crowded world, knowing your story cuts through the noise so you can make your mark, whether you want to sell more books, increase profits, or just make a difference. At Sterling & Stone, story is our business. The Story Studio Podcast is where we explore ways we can all tell our stories better. And now, with the Story Studio Podcast, number 25, here's Johnny, Sean, and Dave. the story studio podcast today we're going to do plotting so um through the magic of, dave's gonna dave is gonna plot very quietly though he is plotting he's pl- he's been plotting since plotting i met him <laughs> yeah through the magic of the internet we actually know that the episode that you'll listen to next with bonnie is really good unless unless jim forgets what i said about changing the order around so that one will be next because we've already done it so that's gonna i be really fun. like knowing the future like that it's really great i, I think that i've solved that Finally, for people have been trying to figure out time travel. It's like suckers. Just do shit ahead, right? Just do shit ahead of time. It's real easy. Yeah. It's kind of like when that um, that year 2000 bug thing came around. And I was like, I was like, I've already looked at the internet and I know that it's later in like Japan and stuff and things are fine. So it's, <laughs> they've seen the Were you worried about Y2K at all? A little bit just because there was so much hysteria. Not in any yeah. like logical way, but it's one of those things like everybody around you is freaking out a little bit. So. I'm just like there's curious. a chance. How about it's the same thing about, as when you go through a metal detector in the airport? Yeah, I, I know I'm not right. carrying drugs or a weapon, but I just am worried that somebody planted something. You, ne- me. you never know oh. when a, a bomb might be put up your anus, right? No, it, it's, accidentally. It's true. I actually, I, I, every time, every time I'm kind of nervous, even though I've, I've, I haven't fired a gun since Camp Oaks in I think fifth grade, but I still think there's one on my purpose or there's coke in my hole and like i've never had coke in my butthole but standing there in the security line there's You've at least never a chance that i do had never, coke. not even, not even not the even soda <laughs> well you had, had a bottle of coke i did lose a pepsi challenge with an M- nmo once though that was the challenge that <laughs> was the challenge all right so plotting so um let's i mean maybe a good place to start with plotting is plotting versus pantsing right like the whole thing i know people get kind of allergic to the idea of i don't want to plot uh because it feels restrictive i, I, I was against it for a very long time i am okay so that's fu- interesting yeah. yeah i want to hear what sean has to say but i want to go back to specifically what dave just said in the way he said it but go ahead sean <clears throat> well i used to be somewhat on the fence i used to want to plot all the time i mean i'm sorry pants all the time because that's how my hero did it Stephen King and that's who you know like that's just that was the fun of writing was sitting down and figuring out a story the first time I ever did it it's a little bit like you know um you're you're kind of crystallized right when you're little and you like I just read Salt Sugar Fat which is an amazing book that I highly recommend to everyone in the world also Um, my stripper name (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was fantastic. Have you been waiting for me to talk about the book in public so you can say no, that? No, no. That comes to me whenever I hear something even. He's got, a, he's got a list of uh, secret jokes, kind of like when Chandler was tracking his creations in Friends. <laughs> wow, that's just amazing. Salt, sugar, fat. Um, yeah, it's it's really good. Um, but it also, uh, oh, damn it, I lost my train of thought, so I don't even know. Um, Plotting, you used to pants, and like your hero, and then... Yeah, I don't remember why why I was talking about that book, but but anyway, I, I, the further and further I get away from that, the more like painful it it actually feels, and I just don't want it anymore. You know, it's it's when I'm when I'm writing, I want to write 
successfully and I want to not have mistakes and I want to not have a bunch of time lost in the edit. And the more time I spend up front, the cleaner that draft the and the more enjoyable I have writing. And I don't ever want to go back to a place where I'm pantsing it because that's where I make mistakes. And, and all the things it's taken me this long to realize, but now it's like a, just a bone deep certainty that it's not I, all the fun that I want from pantsing. I'm going to get with a solidly structured story because you have to pants. That's what writing is. You're still making things up. I don't make up less things with a structured outline. I make up the same, if not more amount of things, but I do it without being under duress. Okay. So Dave said specifically, I used, I already forget the exact wording, but something like I used to never want to do that or something. So does that mean I actually don't know the state of Dave affairs? Shockingly. Are you fully, plotting now are you does anybody Sean... ever know the state of dave affairs no not unless he's having an affair uh-oh <laughs> dave you're muted <laughs> yeah i'm loving this though it's really great <laughs> he can't well, even defend himself right i do meet a lot of sugar daddies at the strip club so you never know <laughs> well uh, with a name like that yeah well yeah <laughs> and the reputation that goes with it uh i still um mostly <laughs> plotting but i enjoy i enjoy the process of discovery and a lot of times um like i can't get that full discovery while i'm uh writing out a plot ahead of time cuz i'm i'm not really in the characters heads i'm not really in the world yet it's not it's not until i'm writing where that sort of magic of discovery comes so I'd say I'm probably 70-30 right now. Um, but you're drifting a lot closer. Would you say you're drifting a few points per project? Well, more than I've ever been, yeah. 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 And, and knowing the end game helps immensely. Like I used to never know exactly what I wanted at the end. And beginning with the end in mind does help significantly because you can foreshadow and set things up properly rather than just discovering the end and then trying to f- go back and make a way to retrofit it like oh wow yeah that's exactly what should have happened which you can do but it's it's harder work yes. for sure and and i mean we all i mean we talked to to bonnie in several of these episodes and that's exactly what she's saving us from is to go in and see okay so you even even when we have the an- ending situated she'll look at that and say okay this ending is good structurally like i understand why you want this ending but it has to tie into the plot in terms of what these people need to go through. And so until those two things are tied together, that's a lot harder to get. I mean, I say this from the experience of well over a hundred books now and many, many different authors. And that is a, a repeating pattern. The, the themes of your story and making your character arcs and climaxes really truly deeply intersect in a meaningful way is so much more difficult to get if you're just writing and discovering as you go along. It, it, it happens. Of course it happens. And I think it's actually rather elegant the way it seems to always happen in, in Roman Sands books. You know, Johnny will start writing and then we'll really know what the story's about. And then that theme will be a pattern that echoes throughout the book. And then it's my job to make that surface as much as possible before it, it becomes a final product. But the difference between having that bubble up from the creation process as we're going through the book the first time and 
understanding what it's supposed to be before we even get into the kitchen is is it's a different experience and one you know we're growing out of the one and into the other and i think it's it's rewarding for not just us creatively but our end product well i would think that go ahead i i would think that you know somebody that i think a lot of traditional writers you know like stephen king or somebody that take six months to a, a year or two on a book however long they take i think for somebody like that um a lot of it is like that first draft is almost like plotting. Yeah, um, I agree. It's almost like the outline that we're creating now is their first draft. Yeah, and th- and then they fix it uh, in the second, third, and eightieth revisions. And I mean, they take a lot of time on it. And I th- I think for them, they they have that luxury. They have a you know they have somebody supporting them, like the publishing company that you know is giving them you know enough money where they don't have to put out you know more books per year like a lot of indie authors do and i I think that's a luxury that they have uh but i think most working writers that are you know putting out more books they they have to get better at plotting ahead of time and i think it's on a uh, continuum too because um what sean said about discovering like themes and stuff that there's some of that that i just can't it can't be done in the outline level. Like there's, it's just, I will learn stuff regardless, but it's a little like, um, but I think that's always true. I don't think you're ever going to get it all in the outline. And if you're trying to do that, that's the false quest. Well, it gets the, it gets the bulk of it or a large part of it. So that that second pass is pretty much always, not always, but I know that with a book like the a thriller that we wrote recently, there was a lot of thematic stuff that I really like. I actually wanted to take a second pass. I don't normally do that. And just to kind of nail that down, because it really evolves. But it, the difference is it's evolving further rather than coming up de novo. You know, so it's you have to do that. Um, I was actually going to ask Dave a question, but he left. So maybe I'll wait to go. Maybe, maybe oh, I could just ask it now. What do you think? Do you think I'll get a good answer? Uh, I do. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I was going to ask. And I mean, you can maybe. Well, let's talk about him anyway. Let's talk about Dave behind his back. So, um he said, I guess I didn't realize when we were talking about plotting versus pantsing. And then he started talking and I'm like, oh, it just, and I, I guess I kind of knew this, but he's doing, he's doing his own outlining. Dave, you're doing your own outlining. That's not something like with me where somebody's giving you an outline. Yeah. Uh, we'll have story meetings and then I'll, I'll do the outline uh, on my own usually. Is it so. accurate that I feel like Collective Inkwell that Sean is like the, the kid who goads the other kids in the background going, yeah, do it, do it, do it. Because it feels like Dave does the outline, Dave does the draft, Dave does the revision, and Sean well, is like I don't like an outline because that robs me of the discovery, and I like, I like that process. No, the, the way it works now is we'll have, we'll have an outline and, and I'm sorry, uh, story meetings, and Dave will turn them into an outline. But that's hard for, I mean, that was a hard process for Dave to get into because it's really not natural. But um, the project that we just finished, we wrapped something this week that um, I'm really proud of. Um, A long time coming and Dave did just a phenomenal job on it. And I don't think he would have got that job without without that outline. Like he would have, I've seen him do a similar project to this before and he, he would get lost like for six months at least. Oh yeah, um, literally lost. Not even just in his writing. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, wandering around the neighborhood, half naked, running into things, <laughs> shitting much. his pants. 
<laughs> yeah, closing out a, a series um, is, is difficult for me because there, there's so much I'm afraid I'm going to forget, uh, things I feel like you have to deliver on and uh, reader expectations, and I want it to be great. And with Available Darkness, um, I had a very difficult time, and I was also dealing with really bad depression. So I forget how long that took, almost a year. I don't even know. It was just... It, it, was, it was nine months, I think. It was incredibly long. Um, and white space, I think, is even more, was more daunting to me. It was something I didn't want to touch for a long time. I know a lot of people are waiting for it to come, and I'm like, no, I'm just not mentally ready yet uh, because I was worried I would fuck it up. And I think all the confidence I got from the stuff we worked on over the past year and, uh, you know, writing out the, the outlines for other stories, ones I'm not even involved in, I think getting that sort of um, mechanical structure in place helped me a lot for this. And it, it took two months and a week. Uh, so I was one week past deadline, which is probably the best I've ever done. That, it's the best he's ever done, especially for the quality of the work. And, um, and, and as far as our process, I really enjoyed the process this time. And one of the differences is the, the quality of Dave's outline really did dictate the quality of his work. Now, it didn't follow the outline completely. There were places where it, it veered off absolutely for sure, especially when it came to the number of people who died and I'm not even making a joke. <laughs> <laughs> the death count was, I think, double what we talked about. Although he reminded me that I was responsible for the most significant death, which I had forgotten about. So I take full responsibility for that. But, um, but we were we we batted this back and forth, and it was the best outline that I had seen from Dave so far because it was more um, action oriented as far as these are the events that have to happen during the scenes. Where typically, you know, I can get a ten thousand word outline from Dave, but it's not like half as much story there as a twenty thousand word outline that I would start to write from, not even close. There'll be maybe ten percent of the amount of story, but there'll be a couple of chapters that are almost fully written, like with dialogue and everything. And you could just see as Dave's writing this outline, he got really into the scene and he was there and he was practically writing the story. Where this outline was was more like an outline to carry out a full entire six episode story. And it, it had the twists and the turns and it had the episode changes. And what that did, it, it's like what we talk about when we say, before you give your work to the editor, it's best to give it the best possible um, shape that it can possibly be. You don't want to hand uh, your draft to an editor if it has a bunch of typos and stupid commas and just like idiot things that she has to spend all of her time fixing and then she's giving you a book back that's like, oh, okay, well, here, you actually could have done that yourself. Where if you get it to the best possible shape, then your editor can take the time that she has devoted to your book to really sharpen it and, and make it the best it can be. And so that's what I found with this draft. Um, we had done such a good job in our story meetings and Dave and the outline and the draft that, that the time I got to spend on it is the stuff I do best. And my edit was fun and my polish was a joy. And I had extra time. There were a couple of scenes where Dave's like, hey, yeah, um, this is just kind of empty and I, I'm, I'm done. Can, can you pick it up? And I was like, absolutely, because I have the time to do that. I can jump in and, and enjoy the story. And I think top to bottom, uh, you, you know, I felt very 
many times. I just wanted to reach out during this and, and tell Dave, I'm so excited about the next stories that we're going to tell together because I feel like our process has finally evolved. And it, it's interesting because we, Dave and I started, I mean, we started this whole thing. We were writing Yesterday's Gone. We wrote Available Darkness back in 2009. I think we started Available Darkness, which is like a long time ago. And but but our collaboration didn't really evolve very much from what it was originally. And we, we tried a lot of different things in the company. Johnny and I write a very different way. And there's a lot of different ways. But it's kind of circled back to Dave and I are writing like we used to write, I think, as we're about to start on some new stuff. We're writing like we used to write with the same purity and the same kind of common connection. But we've really grown up. And I think that the way we're handling... Uh, outlines and drafts and and taking plot as you know something to logically hash out ahead of time is a, a true evolution that will affect both the quality speed and, and um, I think enjoyment of our work um, so what do you think when we because if we're talking about plotting like where's a good place to start because a lot of people um, kind of don't understand where to start with plotting and uh, Sean you do way more of it than the rest of us I mean I have a it's sort of an in uh, some of this that I've learned and some of this that like learned to articulate and some of it is just, just, just kind of like inborn. Um, but starting with, you start with like a hook and then say, how would we get there through? Do you, just take us through the, the beginning part of the process, I suppose. You mean like, how do I, how do we start plotting? How do well, we, okay. Like, I have a, a great ask? idea about a guy who does X. Like that's my hook. That's my one. Like, Oh, that'd be kind of cool. So guy who does ecstasy. Guy, a guy, yes, exactly. A guy who does. I think ecstasy. they call it Molly these days. Do they? Oh, you keep up with the kids. Um, <laughs> I told my kids that Dave is more on top of things than the rest of us because he always knows what's coming and watching YouTube and stuff. Um, yeah, he's he's very uh, like right on top of what's happening in youth culture. Like he's in touch school. with the kids. I can't believe he didn't <laughs> raise the Molly example. Um, but no, like you have that hook, and then that needs to become a plot. Right, like at least the the high points. So, what's that step? Yeah, for for me, I always like to break it down. I know we've talked about three acts versus four acts, and and four acts isn't really acts so much as blocks, but four blocks. So, first, the very first thing I want to know. Okay, now I have this basic hook, and so now now that I have that idea, I kind of know how to maybe distill that into a sexy one sentence thing that could fit on a cover but that's not a story it's just an idea so to turn it into a story i need two things i need to know what's going to happen to each of the principal characters the main people in the story what is their beginning their middle their end what is the thing that they want most what is the thing that's going to impede them what's the thing that that makes people like them and makes people hate them just kind of their general characterness i want to know who we're working with and then once i know who we're working with then within those four blocks I just need to know what's going to happen at the end of each block. And that will kind of help me get to the end. Like, okay, what's the biggest thing that happens, um, you know, right here at the 25% mark? What's the biggest thing at the midpoint? How do we solve that or get to the, the, the big climax at the end of the third and then resolution all the way through the fourth? And one thing that I, I've seen a, a lot of our, um, a lot of us seem to have trouble with um, is there's not enough action at the end. It's like they're trying to draw out the story and 
well, that should happen later. That should happen later. That should happen later. Almost always just move it up. Things can happen earlier in the story. There's one story right now that we're developing and I, I sent it back to the outliner several times with the same message. Just move that up to the end of act one, move that up to the end of act one, move it up to the end of act one. Cause it kept happening at the end of the story. And I said, if this happens at the very beginning of the story, then we're telling a different story. Now everything else can be a consequence of this thing. There's no reason to wait for it. You know, if you're doing television and you're mapping out episodes of TV and you've got like big season arc story about, then maybe you need to hold some stuff close. But if you're telling a novel, if you're writing a novel and there's one story and it's 80 to 100,000 words or whatever, then you don't have to worry about keeping all that stuff towards the end. Push it up, get your story moving, and see what happens. I think that's one of the the things that in mapping out these four-act structure stories that we're really getting urgency and getting to the better story faster is, A, it's never the first story that you think. <clears throat> you're going to come up with an idea, and the hook's going to sound good, and you're going to start talking about it and digging into it. And the more time that you give that idea, the deeper you're willing to dig, the better it's going to be. Uh, you, you can't expect it to happen immediately. Uh, so even when coming up with the four events that have to happen, that's never it. Ever, ever, ever. Never one time, not one outline, not one single draft has come from a story meeting where we've got the four events in place and then that becomes the book. That's not reasonable and i think that is what some authors are looking for is for something oh yeah i got it it's really worth taking the time to, to discuss. yeah i have three thoughts so let me see if i can remember all of them i'll try to go in reverse order i'm already kind of forgetting what they are one is um <laughs> the uh i got it after you know three or four things depending on whether you're using three act or four act structure and um i think that having done you know a handful of these it's you have to be you have to understand that throwing crap away is part of the process like it's almost like you've got a quota it's almost like you're a, a cop watching speeders with a ticket book okay i need to throw away five things before i get to a good one don't consider it something that oh i might need to discard that idea or that's not as good it's almost required so that's part of it like that's normal um the other two things yeah don't be precious ever 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 because the good ideas i mean dave's actually great about this He'll be like, swat it away, swat it away, swat it away. Oh, and then he gets that giddy little... Like a ninja. And, yeah. <laughs> Imagine him like in the Matrix. Yeah, the, the other two things I was going to mention... That ninja. <laughs> that uh, dips are... Um, <laughs> that, that writers are... Chris Farley already did a movie like that. <laughs> right, writers are artists, and um, we then want, like, a lot of times want to do that kind of slow boil, like what Sean was saying about, you know, not wanting to move the action up. Well, it'll build to a great climax. And you're imagining this long, quiet thing where a bunch of shit happens at the end. And the problem is that people don't really kind of read that way. They're Re readers, they don't want that. They, they, they're not asking for that. They're asking to be totally entertained. If you look at, at, at Dave, what does Dave say the number? Why does he not get past wedding scenes very often? It's because there's not enough mystery there. There's not enough things happening. It's like, Okay, I, I could tell that you're maybe teasing something, but if you're going to take a full 100 pages to get to the first thing, I'm not interested. Well, you don't know if it's any good. That's the thing. Like, okay, so show me what you got, and then, okay, I'm engaged, and I'm going to keep reading. If you're waiting and waiting and waiting, you have to read three-quarters of the book before you get to see what 
they've got up their sleeve and then they're like, oh, well, shit, I shouldn't have read it. The other thing that I was um, that I was going to mention is that not wanting to do some, to have an event early, like a, a big one comes from a, st- a scarcity mindset of like, well, if I blow this now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. then I'm not going to have twists and turns later. And that pretty much never is the case because every it's a butterfly effect thing. Like once you have something, then there are going to be consequences, which are going to create new problems and new character gaps. So Go- don't think that way. Going, going back to the ministry thing, um, I think, yeah, the scarcity mindset is a problem because they got one mystery or they thought of maybe two mysteries for the entire book or, or two big things that change everything. And that, to me, is a boring book. I want things to constantly be evolving and changing. I think a great example of this is, um, if you're going to look at television, uh, 24 or Homeland, when, when those seasons start, each new season, you think one thing is going on, but no, it's another thing. And then it's another thing. And then- it's almost like two seasons um, of TV per, in one season. So yeah. Homeland's midpoint, this has been true like the last three, if not four seasons. Homeland gets to the midpoint. And then it becomes a totally different show for the, like if it's, I think it's, they're usually 12 episodes. So six episodes in it's one show and then they resolve everything. And then half of those characters disappear and those storylines and it shifts and, and it still matters. The, the six episodes that you've watched up until that oh, point yeah. heavily impact the next six episodes, but their, their own arcs, their own stories, their own loop. And they are related. It's not like they're very related. And- yeah. So it's not cheating at all. It's not. Uh, it's not like those old uh, cliffhanger sort of things where you know. Well, none of that really mattered except right. the last few episodes. So no, everything but matters. It, it, everything matters, and then you're you you feel clearly these writers aren't worried that they you know got out of ideas, and it's the opposite of network television, which because of its nature is twenty two or twenty four episodes, and they're all allowed an hour long. And there's filler. There's just always filler in a network show. This is the opposite of that. Not only is there no filler, it's lean. They're like, okay, we're done with those. Let's go to another thing and tie it all together. And if there's one big takeaway from this episode, you know, if you're one of those people who just wants your plotting to be better, um, I I would focus on that as the takeaway. Make things happen faster. Um, Things that you have later in the book, you know, put them in like ask yourself what would happen if i made this an act one turn instead of a a midpoint turn what would happen if this was midpoint instead of the climax what would happen if what i'm thinking of the climax is actually the end of my first act how does that change everything uh a a book i just finished about i'll say three weeks ago um it's a psychological thriller and it took place like the, the the basic construct was that there was this um there was an event that had happened in this house 15 years before. And so in talking about it and trying to, to figure out how to piece this all together, um, I dead was a baby on Christmas. N- n- <laughs> it was not a dead baby on Christmas. You monster. No, I was, I was mapping this out with Jen and, and I think it was her suggestion. She said, maybe we're telling the wrong story. Maybe the story that's the flashback is actually the more interesting story. And we just go tell that story. And it changed the entire structure and we had to start over. You know, we lost thousands and thousands of storytelling words in, in the outline stage. But it was absolutely worth it because we found the right story. And 
your time and place in your plotting is highly influential to the overall like experience that you're going to give to your your reader and and how you understand that story and your first idea of this has to happen and this has to happen and then this has to happen is probably not your best idea you know i felt like that about the package that um you gave me like two years ago i think um and eventually you were talking about doing it <laughs> doing it with Johnny. I don't know I don't know where it is right now. Um Yeah, but but you had this very intricate background for this uh, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah and I was like, I really like that more than the story you want to do. Like like that's pretty fucking awesome how all this stuff started and yeah, so I don't know where you are right now, but maybe reconsider that. <laughs> right. Well, remember too that, and this this is maybe worthwhile mentioning in the the plotting episode because, as stupid as this is going to sound, it was something that actually was an epiphany for me at one point um, when I actually moved from starting a lot of manuscripts to actually being able to start and finish them. Is that um, a, a premise is not a plot, and I think that sometimes people like. Um, you know, the cool world is like, well, so what if I talk about stuff in this cool world? Well, that, that's not a plot. Um, you know, I've told the story before of when I brought the hook for Dead City to Sean. And, you know, it's a world where the zombie plague was frozen and all this stuff. And that seemed kind of cool. And he goes, oh, that's really cool. I'm on board. What What's the plot? And I, I kind of froze. And I was like, well, I don't know. Like it's there's there's these cool cops that chase down the zombies, and there's there's this plague, and but 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 what what's the plot? Like there needs to be a plot. There needs to be a bunch of right. stuff that happens and, in an arc. But Johnny had a bunch of elements that you know really make Dead City awesome. I, I think one for sure that was was his and not mine at all was the word clarifier. Is yes. that right? Yes. Yeah. So so clarifiers in Dead City are trying to decide whether somebody is. A zombie or not like too far gone or because it's a continuum yeah so they need to be shipped off to the grazing grounds in yosemite like yay or nay well i don't know like the clarifier needs to decide and like there were a lot of elements that i really loved that johnny basically gift wrapped and said hey here's all this awesome stuff but we need a plot (laughs) we need a story and to be clear i had none i mean in in a flailing version that i did on my own after fat vampire um I cobbled together a plot because a chapter has to be about somebody and something. But they didn't do anything. I mean, I used to feel like, okay, the characters get into a room and look at each other. I could create great scenes, at least, well, good scenes. But then they didn't, they weren't coherent. I I mean, I would urge anybody listening to this to go back and remember that this is an arc, like this podcast series. And so we talked about character with Bonnie. We talked about character arc. And so whatever story you're telling Make sure that it's it isn't told in a vacuum. It it is happening to somebody, and that that somebody needs to undergo a transformation. It's usually a polarity switch from cowardly to brave, or you know, a, a paranoid to trusting, or something like that. And that should be something that can be revealed by the catalyst of your environment. So the story is their story, but it's happening because all this stuff is bubbling around them and forcing them to change. Right, and a lot of people think of plot as the things that happen in your story but that's not it at all because your original version of the zombie story which i think was called untitled zombie story yeah i think it was um you know like the original version of that it, it had things that happen so plot is not things that happen plot are the things that happen that tie into your emotional character arcs and your climax and otherwise you're wasting the reader's time so it's not enough that each 
chapter kind of has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and, and a little story, you know, in and of itself. It, it has to feed into what's coming next and from what came before it to tell a whole story. And so plot are, are those blocks, and you have to think of them in terms of big things that have to happen and then distill it into little things that make the big things matter. Yeah, I can, I can actually... Um... I can actually add a clarifying point to this because I did struggle a lot before I reached the epiphany of, duh, there needs to be a plot, is I think that a lot of readers who struggle, they think too big. They, they're they like, I'm going to tell the story of the Great World War, and so you're trying to tell the story of the whole world war. And I think that that happens because you have a situation or an environment or something like that, and then things do have to happen. So in my example of this like zombie world, if I don't have a plot, if I don't have some people who are going to change and evolve and discover something in this little corner of the world, then the only thing that I can do is to tell the story of the whole world. And so as I'm writing, what's going to subconsciously happen is I'm going to, because I'm a person who's watched movies and read, read books, I'm going to understand that there needs to be a big climax. But I'm not going to be going toward these people having something in this little thing and this little corner of the world and overthrowing a company or reaching an epiphany, which would make sense. Instead, what I'm going to do is, okay, so I got a world with zombies and people. Okay, the whole world needs to get into like tumult somehow. And that's hard. Like you're, it doesn't make any sense. So I think that's why that happens is because you, you haven't narrowed it down small enough. But I think that that, for, for me, that's what makes the story interesting anyway. That's what makes the plot easier. Uh, you know, Dave actually wanted to write zombies for a while. And I wasn't that interested in it. We had done the Z series, and he had suggested, like, returning to the zombie well a couple of times. But zombies didn't really interest me very much um, as, as monsters. What interested me was the small story that Dead City actually was you know, about that company and about what society was like in the aftermath of this thing. The zombies were just a mechanism to tell a different story. Like The Walking kind Dead. Of, right, you know, really. And and even The Walking Dead is is more about the zombies because they're, I don't know, they're, they're more of a threat. The, the, zombies, the zombies in Dead City become a threat, but they're not really the threat. When you start the book, that's not really the threat that everybody's worried about. Um, it's kind of a... It's a threat the same way like AIDS was a threat in the 80s, you know, in, in this country. You know, it's like you, it was something that we were all very like aware of and concerned about. Um, so I don't know. It's just, it's a, it's a different kind of story, but I think small can be very powerful. Well, as an, as an example. You can't be afraid of telling a small story. So, sorry, you glitched out and I thought you would stop, but it is an example. Um, so Titanic. So Titanic is like, oh, well, what if I told a story about the Titanic sinking? I can see a lot of writers doing something like that. Like, you know, a, a ship slowly goes down. Okay, so... But it would focus on the captain, probably. Or, in a or, traditional or nothing. Or it would be like, you know, the, the water, they hit the iceberg. Like, it would be hard. To, I can understand why people would have a hard time telling that story. So what did um, the, the crew behind Titanic do, or the, the scriptwriters, is they invented a story. So you know, um, Jack and Rose and, um, you know, these weren't real people. They were just like avatars for the uh, wait, what? <laughs> so, you know, it's not really a story about a, a boat sinking. Or, uh, it's, it's about 
class struggle and and love and that sort of thing, um, a great sacrifice. So those are the themes of Titanic, um, but they came from this totally invented story that was stuck into a larger backdrop. And I think a lot of people don't sufficiently differentiate the backdrop and the situation and the what's going on that's causing people to change from the plot, which is those people actually changing through their own actions. Right. I absolutely agree. Um, so right now we have uh, the inevitable, which is a really big world and it's getting, it's getting plotted out in some very interesting ways because we have all these different series that are getting plotted out and they're the. <laughs> I don't even know how to explain this, really. The climaxes of each of these individual series kind of feed in to the overall world. So they're not necessary um, to understand everything. If you're just reading this one series, it doesn't matter what's going on over in this other stuff, but that other stuff does inform it. And so what that means in a, in a plot level is that it's all too big to think about. So even in our core series, which is the one that uh, Johnny and I are writing, it's going to rely on all this other plot stuff that's happening in all these other books. And we're going to just kind of mention this thing here and mention that thing there. But if we were really getting in the weeds as to how all of this stuff worked and how all of it mattered, it wouldn't be fun to write, nor would it be fun to read. Johnny would be miserable trying to make that all make sense. And the reader would try to like, what? Oh, I don't even understand what is in this person's head because there's so much to sort through. But having all these big building blocks, you can actually produce a pretty simple, straightforward story that hints at this much larger world, like that hints at all this stuff that's going on outside of these pages. And that to a reader is exactly, I think it's what Dave's always referring to when he's saying, I want the mystery. I want to know that there's more out there to the world than what I'm seeing on the page. And that constant hint, that constant tease, I think really engages the readers in a way that um, over explaining it to them never, ever, ever will. Well, it's what I learned while I was working at the strip club, teasing rather than just putting it all out there right away. You're not going to get your money. Easy there, salt, sugar, fat. <laughs> yeah. What do you wear as salt, sugar, fat? Do you uh, have pasties? Yes or no? I, I wear these little ice cream cones over my head. <laughs> Um, maybe this is that's a good, perfect. Maybe this is a good note to, to to close this plotting episode on. Is if Sean, Sean said he has one piece of advice, which was to move action forward. I would say mine is to um, to think smaller, because I think yes. that people always want to think big, and they don't even do it intentionally, and then they end up with too much story to tell. And it's not even that it's too much story to tell; it's that it confuses the reader as well as you, even if you tell it well. So, well, you have to be a, an exceptional writer to tell a really big story, also, because scope is hard. You know, Tolkien has scope. Uh, you know, Martin has scope. Like, like those are authors, but but that kind of scope takes a lot of time, also. Well, and you're spreading it out. You don't. Ha it's like trying to be everything to everyone when you're telling a book with that much scope. First of all, it needs to be really long or or a long series to be able to tell it sufficiently. And second, you can't give attention to any individual aspect nearly as much because you're spread out. Um, the what was the there was something I was oh uh, Sean's new favorite movie, A Quiet Place. It's about an alien oh, invasion, yeah. <laughs> but you would never know that anything existed other than this one little farm. The entire movie has basically three main characters, right? It's John Krasinski, Emily Blunt, and the girl, 
or no, and the, the boy as well. So four main characters. And then there are other, like a, just a few like tiny little players. But it's, and Signs is the same way. It's just this little, yeah. little teeny story in what could be an epic story. So anyway, so do you, uh, I guess that's it, right? Unless you are dying to. Well, I just have a final takeaway there that if go. we're bringing up Signs, I would like to point out that don't ever, ever, ever do the things that he does at the ending of that movie. Because <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> I know what I don't know how to finish this movie. What should we do? I don't know. <laughs> let's make let's make this powerful alien race who has traversed the eons and time and space to get to Earth. Let's make them allergic to water, it's, which is mostly what's on this planet. It's funny to think what I can imagine the aliens. Let's go there. Dude, it's covered with poison. Ah, it'll be okay. <laughs> can you imagine Dave understand. in the story meeting? It would be great. <laughs> no, like that's the thing. The the things that we're talking about, signs would never have left the plotting ground at like it, it it would not it wouldn't have withheld the scrutiny of any layer of our process. Do you guys want to go understand. to the uh, arsenic gas fire planet without suits or breathers? That sounds awesome, doesn't it? They they should only just if taken... I could creep across it at a child's birthday party and they could catch me on film. Okay, because there's no water there. The ending of War of the Worlds and stolen that. <laughs> All right. So uh, thanks for watching the Story Studio podcast and listening, whatever it is you're doing. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Story Studio podcast. Are you wondering what the ever-growing demand for superb storytelling skills means for your future? Check out our latest interview as Johnny and Sean dive deep into that question in Storytelling is the Future, How to Build on Your Self-Publishing Success. Download the interview from the info box or show notes in YouTube or head over to sterlingandstone.net slash future. 